0: If popular culture has taught us anything, it is that someday mankind must face and destroy the growing robot menace. menace, menace. And welcome to the after jet podcast about stories and careers from the jet alumni community with me aiden law i'm not talking about killer robots unfortunately but i am going to talk about the analog games industry board games card games and the like with my guest brendan wiescotton i hope i pronounced that right who is the organized game coordinator for asmodee north america who we are also joined by David railing later in the podcast because there's been so much great stuff, there's a supplementary part 2-ish episode, more on the industry and Brendan's involvement in the Magic the Gathering brand. So check that out if you want to know more. We hope you enjoy. Yeah, how would you get into uh, get into that side of the business, like analog games, games designer, for example?
1: I have a hard time in comparing it to any other field because um, you know, I went to college for one thing, and then I I'm doing this now. But um, it was basically just a matter of slowly getting my foot in the door. So I started writing for uh, one of the big fan sites for Magic, just writing a weekly article and. Um, I did that while I was in Japan, and then I, I turned that into a freelance gig with wizards for the, um, the magic writing, and yeah. then um, I turned it into other freelance jobs and then eventually turned that into a full-time job. So
2: yeah
1: it was just kind of you know baby steps of, of doing a little thing that's, that I could easily do without too much um, background or you know resume yeah. basically, but then just building the resume out from there. I didn't do too much forum posting and whatnot, but um, that that first weekly article for one of the fan sites, kind of yeah. the big thing, it was, I did that kind of on a whim, um, they put out a call, it was, at the time, it actually wasn't that big of a website, um, they were just kind of up and coming, and they put out a call for writers for specific things that they were looking for, and yeah. I thought, hey, that might be fun for one of the things, um, it, was a, it was a story-based thing, it was an article covering. Uh, the stories, like the, basically the IP side of the um, of the game. And I thought that'd be fun. So I I sent in um, a letter to the guy, f- very flavorful, like trying to show that, you know, it's something I could do. And um, yeah. so I, I got that just because I wanted to do it for fun and definitely some luck in the, in the sense that, you know, I, I was the guy that was ch- chosen for it. I did that for like a year or two before I realized I kind of wanted to, turn it into a bigger thing. There was other pieces of luck in terms of networking and stuff. Um one of the other guys on that website that wrote weekly about similar topics. He ended up getting a, a job with uh, Fantasy Flight Games, which is where I got my first full-time job in the industry. So he, he got a job with them. And then when I was coming back to the States and applying to a lot of the big companies, of course I was playing there too. And he helped me get the foot in the door and he put in a good word for me and so forth. So in terms of like, falling um, being out there and stuff I definitely like I made connections through that website I made connections through just I played a ton of magic in Japan as well um, mm. And I made connect that way that I you know at the time I had no idea we're going to be valuable but they you know they've ended up becoming important stuff so
0: see mom playing games does you know lead to a real job so uh. right <laughs> <laughs> What is an organized play coordinator? I think you said it's something to do with marketing.
1: Yeah, it's um it, not a lot of people outside of the, the analog game industry really know what organized play means. But um, it's a division of marketing. Organized play is a division that tries to get uh, people out to either stores or other events, um, whether they be at conventions or other things, to play the games that Our uh, our company makes and sells generally they tend to be on the more competitive side in terms of the games that are that we're trying to promote But Mm -hmm. we also do events and stuff for the less competitive stuff like if if you've heard of Catan or things like that um, Games like that even some like Catan has a world championship even though it's not really a super competitive game so that's kind of if you if you think about those events and like if you ever go to a, a game store any sort of events, whether they be magic or other, like that's somebody in organized play was behind the creation of that event, whether it was just the concept of the event or the prizes
0: that were given out, different stuff like that. Okay, I getcha. So obviously it's promotional publicity, that sort of thing.
1: Right. Um, From a game company's standpoint, um, the more people that go to local game stores regularly to play the games, One, they're more invested in the game, which means they're going to keep playing. They also have a regular, they build up a regular schedule. So it's basically the whole point of organized play is to build a high wall for people to leave the game, essentially. It's kind of a pessimistic way to look at it in in that description. But it's basically trying to give people reasons to stay in the game rather than leave the game, whether it be social social interaction, particular prizes that are desirable or rare or whatnot. Different events that people are excited to go to Um, like one of the things magic's really done well in the past couple years or even the past 10 years really Is um, they have a tagline called play magic travel the world and it's Mm -hmm. basically just trying to convince players that If they play magic a lot and if they play it well enough that they can travel the world basically without you know By playing magic so like that kind of concept is a lot of what we're trying to do Right. Like the, the analog game industry has been growing huge in the past five years, um, mm. like hand over fist every year. It's been growing. And, um, and it's, it's because of games like Carcassonne and Catan that, you know, people that maybe like games, but they don't really play them too often. These games are easier to get into the, their social situations where they come up mm. and they, they play them and they, you
0: know, they like them. So obviously you've always sure. had uh, interest in, in writing. How did that, that, that kind of creativity, like how did you use that on JET in terms of the skills that you had? Did JET kind of help you sort of create that, that, that skills, the skills <laughs> you needed that eventually lead to uh, what, where you are now?
1: I, I definitely think writing about my experience on JET was a big part of it. Because Japan was such a different culture and a different world for me, it required a fair bit of skill in terms of explaining it and trying to trying to relate what was happening in my life to people back home. Um, mm. That had absolutely no idea right and other than like sushi and ninjas and Samurai, you know, like the, the, the very clear stereotype. So like trying to relate that experience that I was having to people that had absolutely no idea what was going on in my world was um, a very challenging task and I think I think that helped curate my skills a fair bit and actually it helped a lot. I think lesson planning was a very big help in terms of creativity, obviously not as much on the writing aspect, yeah. but um, you know, I'm sure you kind of experienced it as well, especially I don't know, I don't remember how many years you were on Jet, but um, I was there for three years and every year I felt like I had to kind of change it up because I didn't, I didn't want to feel like I was in a rut and I also didn't want the teachers or the students to feel like I was repeating the same thing. Like just having to rethink things like, you know, obviously each time I created something, I, I thought I was making it the best possible. And then, you know, the next year come, rolls around and it's like, well, I thought it was, but you know, something needs to change what, you know, not necessarily what's wrong, but you know, what can I change to maybe maybe there's a different type of game that I can use to highlight that grammar component, or maybe I keep the game and, and use it to highlight something else, like just trying to, you know, troubleshoot things. Yeah. Um, was a big aspect of it
0: when you went for interview with uh, fantasy Flight, how did your jet experience like how did you serve sort of use that in your your job interview what aspects sure. did you emphasize that kind of thing if you remember um I, I remember it fairly well
1: um, because it was fairly unique um, I think this is a, a place where luck kind of played a part of it so I'm do a little more rambling and make the story probably larger than the answer larger no, than no, your expect. Please experience. go ahead and... <laughs> But um, I had come back to the states and I was trying to get into the game industry. Been applying to a bunch of different jobs. I applied to um, this particular job at Fantasy Flight for technical writer. Um, I, I have a fairly analytical mind. Um, I've always loved math and stuff. So I thought, hey, you know, maybe this is something I can do. And you know, at that point, I just wanted a job in the industry. Um, so I sent. In the application, I got a response saying, hey, thanks. You know, I'll be looking at it in a couple of weeks. But right now we're prepping for Gen Con. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Gen Con, the largest board game, analog game industry convention in the States and probably mm-hmm. one of the large ones in the world. And so he said he was you know, going to be busy prepping and going to that and he'd get back to me afterwards. And I had been considering going to do networking and stuff. So I figured, you know, even if it was just showing up playing some games and talking to some, you know, industry people, you know, just trying to make some connections and whatnot. Money was pretty tight. And I, I added up all the expenses. And it just didn't seem to make sense just to be networking, which in hindsight, I think was the wrong thought. But anyway, so this guy responds with this answer. And I so I respond saying, Hey, are you going to actually be at Gen Con? And he says, Yes, are you immediately, you know, I respond with Yes, I am. Because this is you know, this is a perfect opportunity to push for the job, right? Instead of sitting back. And this is where getting your boots on the ground and actually putting in the hard work is important because there was an opportunity presented to me and I took advantage of it. So I actually went to Gen Con, found some ways to cut some costs, slept on somebody's hotel floor, ended up uh, working. I I found a a freelance gig for a company for the con. So I got my badge paid for and stuff like that. Um, so I cut the cost as much as possible went you know did did things tried to network and stuff but I also met with this guy I just had lunch with him the luck that came into play was he actually had spent some time in um, Portugal teaching English as soon as I recognized that connection I kind of you know like I mean he, he knew from my resume and stuff that I'd been on jet as the conversation developed we got into talking about our experiences abroad and teaching English and so forth and I really pushed that partly You know to build up a relationship but also partly because i knew that's where a lot of i developed a lot of my writing skills and i also knew it was a good background for the writing you know even if you're not actually writing for the job necessarily teaching a language i mean i'm sure you've you experienced this in in being on jet but like teaching a language really makes you think about it very differently than just your everyday you know use of the language um and so like being able to talk about those experiences and play up those things, I think, was a big selling point for myself for this job. So I think that was kind of a big thing with Jet, was just getting lucky enough that he had actually done a similar thing abroad, but then also trying to play up those things. And of course, I also pushed the aspects that a lot of the people when you're leaving Jet, you know, if you go to the career fair and that stuff, they, they talk about how you know you want to push the fact that your your experiences have made you flexible and it's made Mm. you open to you know these different cultures and environments and so forth like you want to talk about the aspects of jet that you experience more so than just the straight up you know i taught kids or whatever you kind of want to talk about more about what you learned and the, the skills you developed beyond just in the classroom specifically related to the lessons as i've moved forward in in my career and networked more just out of the nature of having a job and meeting more people and stuff, I've really, really learned that that's, your network is one of the most valuable things to you mm. for any job. Any, any person that doesn't want to work the same job for, for 40 years, like a network is invaluable because you're never really going to need connections and relationships to you know, move
0: either forward or sideways or wherever you're going to go. It occurred to me, how did you get from technical writer fantasy flight games to organized play coordinated?
1: So I I got the technical writer job, you know, I got there and I worked my butt off. But I also knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do, necessarily. I I just wanted to get my foot in the door um, in terms of, like, I had heard so many stories. I mean, this might be unique to the game industry. I don't know. It might work for other industries. In the game industry it's very common to get a job with one of the game companies and then move sideways, move laterally into a different department. Um, and I'd I'd heard lots of stories of people doing that so I knew it was kind of a thing and I knew that I could potentially do it so I was more just looking for a job that I knew I was qualified for that I I could you know I knew I could do a good job on technical writing was one of those that um, that fit the bill so as soon as I got there you know while I I worked hard at my job and I tried to excel um, I also made an extra effort to pick up some other things. I wasn't exactly sure what I'd be able to do, so I just tried a bunch of the different things. I was playtesting a of games. In that regard, I was trying to, you know, work on my design skills and kind of build relationships with the other designers and such. And then I also bu- built up some relationships with some of the marketing people because being one of the technical writers, they often came to us, you know, they were very good writers, but they often sometimes would want some help with like the finer points of um, the style that the company used, uh, yeah, which we yeah. were kind of considered masters of. So I built some relationships there as well. And the one in particular that was important was the VP of marketing. He's he's a big guy. He actually worked for Wizards of the Coast years ago, and he's always been an organized play kind of guru. He, um, he got his start by owning a store and building it up. And whatnot. At one point, the company went through a little bit of a transition, and they closed down the technical writing department. Um, <clears throat> but they liked all of us. You uh, we all showed that we were passionate and skilled people. So they um, they tried to find homes for all of us. And in particular, both my boss and the VP of Marketing both felt that I would make a, I would make a good candidate for Organized Play because I loved the tournament side of games. Um, I liked the more competitive games as well, which it was a boon, and so that was the job offered to me, and I of course took it because one, it meant I could stay employed, and two, I, I thought I would enjoy it. Which
0: uh, yeah, it's
1: been now so
0: what's the best part of it?
1: Um, honestly, it's the conventions. It's the the going out and meeting the people that play the games. Um, oh yeah, you know, like we sit in our we sit in our high castle, so to speak, and try and develop these prizes and ideas. But um, yeah. But, like, getting to actually meet people and see what they think about it and see how they experience it
0: is yeah. honestly the best part. Are you allowed to sort of bring products back for, you know, testing purposes indefinitely?
1: Uh, I'm allowed to do whatever I want with products as long as only the the required eyes are see them. You know, certain eyes aren't allowed to see them, so it really depends. Like, that's kind of the, the bit, right? Like, if, if I'm ra- surrounded by people that have signed... Uh, NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, um, then it's all for it, but if I'm in a public
0: space, no deal. No, no, like, inviting friends who maybe be working for, I don't know, review companies or something like that, for example?
1: Um, We do deal with review stuff, I mean, we send out review copies ahead of time and stuff. There's an avenue for that. If you or anybody else you know is interested in that stuff, please let me know and I can get you in touch with, with our PR person.
0: Okay. Oh, great! That's fantastic. Um, well, hey. David, we probably should start reviewing. I mean, you're into games, right? We should start like writing some sort of. Uh, you always wanted to get into more <laughs> writing as well, so I have, I have enthusiasm
2: for just about everything. So yeah, I'm interested. <laughs> Send it to me. Now.
0: <laughs> How did you find the transition coming back from Jet? I guess now knowing what you know now, like what sort of advice or, or pointers would you give to to anyone who's Leaving jet, and which is around this time of the year, essentially.
1: Honestly, it was it was kind of hard. You know, um, I came back to the states, and I had this goal, but it still it still took a lot of time to um, to get a job. You know, it was least six months to the day. It was actually kind of funny that um, exactly six months from the time I flew back to the states, I arrived back in the states. I got the email from my Soon-to-be boss saying, "Hey, we, you know, we'd like to offer you a position." But um, those six months were were kind of hard, and I actually am kind of glad I had that freelance work and uh, whatnot. To one, it, you know, gave me something to do and keep me busy when I wasn't job searching. But two, it also was it was something that I had started either when I was in Japan or Australia, and so it was something that like it it wasn't as much of a break coming back and you know, completely new life. You know, there was at least some sort of thread that tied it all together. Mm. Um, and I think trying to find something like that is a is a big um, help. It's funny because when I went to Japan, um, I don't remember. I don't remember if it was one of the, the conferences ahead of time that got the idea in me, or or if I I figured it out myself. Probably one of the conferences. But um, when I went to Japan, I was set on finding something from my American life that would make me comfortable in Japan but would put me in, you know, a position where I'm surrounded by Japanese people and maybe not speaking English and stuff. And that that ended up being magic um, was what I ended up doing. And so, like, I was playing this game I was familiar with, with complete strangers, but I think doing the reverse is almost as important. You know, they talk about reverse culture shock and everything. But like even beyond just the culture shock, just the stress of coming back and trying to create a new life, um, you know, having something like that can ease that stress or give you a, a respite, you know. Um, so I honestly, that'd be the biggest thing for me in hindsight, I think.
0: And I noticed as well that you did like uh, you wrote comics and short stories and articles and everything in between, like well, that. you've been busy. You've, uh, that that's really interesting.
1: I'm gonna do everything I you know, everything I could.
0: <laughs> yeah, and did you make those connections while you were in Japan or after you came back?
1: Um, it was a mixture of stuff. So the comics was actually an Australian, um, awesome dude in Melbourne. Um, <laughs> he um, he's actually I mentioned earlier that there was a guy in that that had done Jet at the same time as me. Um, mm. but, you know I met him afterwards. I met him through my job in Melbourne, and he had done jet, so we got connected like that. And then we, also were both very interested in literature and whatnot. So, but he's an illustrator, so we teamed up and did a did some stuff. And so that was that connection. Uh, some other stuff was through Japan. Some of it was um, through my writing online. Uh, I was, you know, just. Mixture of stuff. Um, the one one of the things was actually my my father was um, he's he's a counselor. He's got a PhD in psychology and stuff. So I edited some document some booklets that he was creating for his practice and stuff. You know, just and anywhere you can go to to do something is is always a, a good strategy to go. Over, so
2: yeah, it, and I, I would just echo that you know when you said coming back, it's it, it's definitely it took me a little over six months. So it's 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 tough landing in the states sometimes. It really is, but. Yeah, I'm yeah. Glad, I, glad I went through that period too, because it gives you some perspective, it really hard, toughens you up, so. <laughs> sure. yeah.
0: yeah, same thing, it took me six months, but I wasn't really rushing back into work, my circumstances was a little bit unique, like, you know, Fukushima 2011, that kind of thing, and it was a pretty full-on experience, and I was quite emotional, but I mean, good emotional in a lot of ways. And coming back to Australia, was like, just slow down and just take things easy. And you, you kind of have a different perspective on life. Like, yes, yeah, you, you need to get a job to eat and to, to pay the bills, whatever. But And I just kind of wanted to sort of enjoy and slow down. And, yeah, it really, really helped. And I think it reoriented my perspective on life it's useful just on general for people to hear some
2: of these like real experiences cuz i remember when we went to, like the pre i went to like the pre-departure orientation at like yokohama and they would put all these people on the panels and a lot of these people were kind of superstars like oh i'm doing this career at the embassy and i'm you know this amazing exalted speaker and i'm like people like who are these people like oh, i'm you know i went to tech i'm an electrical engineer supervisor 10 years experience and all the alumni, they're all this, like, massive senior level of career accomplishment. And I just kind of wanted to hear from someone, like, straight up say, oh, yeah, it's going to be tough, but, or you know, it'll be a weird experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, don't sweat the small stuff, essentially. Like, you know, I, I, I totally echo what you said. Like, even when I um, got to Tokyo orientation after getting to Jet, and then they bring all these people out that I understand they're meant to be uh, inspirational to to push you to 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 go beyond and like different ideas and think outside the box, but at the same time, like you know, they you know like they brought someone out who says like, oh, I did this, I did that, I turned our our uh, high school's like Taikukan, the, the assembly hall into a Sistine chapel, like we, you know we did this and I cured cancer and also invented helium, yeah, this is this, this <laughs> essentially what it sounded like, and meanwhile we're going like. <laughs> I can barely speak Japanese, and I have never taught before, so I am obviously a failure. <laughs> yes. Thank you. And when you were saying like how when you're in your last year jet, like an eyewitness emotional state that people final year jets are because we had a, a speaker who was a careers and life coach and a motivational speaker, and she essentially said things – like, you know, don't worry if you don't know what it is you, you want to do immediately. So it's, it's fine to change jobs. It's always fine to make a mistake. And to see the effect on those who are present, there was one girl that just burst into tears when she didn't stop crying. And there was one guy who just uh, spent the rest of that day writing a very long letter, like just pouring out like, his thoughts, his fears, his emotions, that kind of thing. And I could see like she was getting mobbed by all these people. It was almost like, um, like you know, I don't know, cult leader kind of thing. It's just like, teach us, we're lost. Tell us what we must do.
1: I, I will never say Jet was a waste of my life. It was such a, an amazing experience. But there was a small part of me at that time that wondered, are companies really going to care about this? Internet exits, those two days when you get to talk to people, you know, they do their speeches and stuff. They're pushing about how, like, companies will value your jet time and all this stuff, and there's a small voice saying, is this really true? So I, I can understand
0: here. Everyone we've spoken to said the same, more or less the same thing, you know. It's like, how could you not value that kind of experience and being thrown into another different culture, and then not just surviving but also thriving? You know, if a company doesn't see the value of that, they probably won't see the value of any kind of outside viewpoints or different viewpoints. It's not something you'd you'd want to be in.
1: It's one of the things I was really excited about when you, you even posted about this podcast you're doing and whatnot. I forget which one you mentioned how, like, the people that give the speeches and the people you get to talk to at those things are the superstars, but, like, your podcast is just grabbing, like, a random jets that, former jets that have made their way, and I think it's a great resource for, for people coming off of JET, or even people just starting JET, where they can learn and read these, listen to these stories and see a bunch of different viewpoints, you know, um, hopefully you get a variety of people, not just industries, but a variety of experiences and whatnot, and that's it's exciting to me. It makes me happy I for other people.
2: I had that resource when I was leaving again. You went to the Jet pre Departure Conference and they had like a foreign diplomats, someone who like high up electrical engineer, another guy who was like a college professor and, okay. <laughs> 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 Can I, write a- I don't know if either of you had this experience that jet pre departure orientation, but there is a part someone asked like you know, raise your hand if you already know what you're going to do when you leave this program. Like, if you've already decided your career path, or if you have a major which is leading you in a specific direction. And I remember, like, half of the people, like, raised their hand. Or at least, like, maybe more than half. It was an astounding number. And I just thought that was a little bit intimidating at that point, I think. Because sure. I was sitting here, like, <laughs> you know, chewing gum or something. Like, all right.
0: All right. <laughs> The orientation that we just gave to our Sydney leavers three weeks ago, like I said to them, I said look like you know not that you guys need to have an idea of what you want to do after JET, but I just actually want to get you guys to thinking about what you might want to do, and also recognize the fact that your, your your objectives, your career goals will change over time, especially on JET when you realize you're good at something or you realize that something you thought you wanted to do uh, no longer uh, is what you wanted to do. You yeah, know, I think.
2: Yeah, I guess the good, These good podcasts. Are probably probably would be a very good target for the other fifty percent that didn't raise their hands. Like, <laughs> you know, there's something going on. <laughs> because <laughs> just two quick stories of random anonymous jets that I ran into. Like, I remember I went to a jet reorientation thing when you landed. And there was one person out there who was like, oh, everything worked out fine for me. I got off the plane. I got a job and a book publishing deal. I'm just like, <laughs> you know, or I had another person who was just um another person that was in the, yeah, exactly, the prefecture I was at. Was two years um, on jet, and he had his master's degree for some very high college. And he was anxious about getting a job, which he landed the week after. He was just very, you know what I mean, it, it, This is it for those people.
0: I hope you enjoyed that. Sorry about the audio quality towards the end. It can be tricky when you're having a conversation across time zones and countries. Thanks very much to Brendan and David for all the nice things they said about the AfterJet podcast. I really hope it's useful to you out there listening, whether as a new or current jet or in your final year. Also, I like to point out that in spite of how it sounds, we're not saying it isn't great hearing from high achievers. But stories from muggles like us have their place as well, and in my opinion, just as worthy to tell. To have been able to thrive in another country and gain an appreciation of a different culture is, in my opinion, a fantastic achievement, and much needed in this day and age, given the current mood in politics around the world. As for resources to this podcast, I'll be putting up a list by Brendan of recommended board games to play, and also other resources to do with history industry. Remember, I'm always happy to hear from anyone out there, so please get in contact at info at jetaans that's info at dot until next time bye
2: we will live to fight another day